It's always fun when the worship has a lot to do with the message. You guys probably won't remember, but it's always a little like nudge from God, like, yep, yes, all right, thank you, Jesus. We're going to be in uh, Philippines tonight. We are still doing the um, Paul series. We started it off with Paul and pizza, which was an amazing time. We got into some scripture together, and we're going to actually get into quite a bit of scripture tonight, so hang in there with me. Philippians chapter 1, we are going to pick it up in verse 19, but for context's sake, I'll tell you kind of what what Paul's talking about. He is writing to the Philippians. It's actually Paul and Timothy writing to the Philippians. And it's not just one church, it's, uh, it says uh, to all the saints in verse 1 who are in Philippi. So there are multiple churches probably at this time. And so he's writing to all the churches. Paul is in, he's writing this letter. He's in prison again. (laughs) So he's writing from prison. And he's writing to a group of churches that brings him abundant joy. And so much joy and love is felt by Paul that these first 11 verses specifically, many have used them romantically and and given it to their spouse or something. He, he is just really pouring out how much he cares for these people. And he has, he kind of goes through how much joy that they bring him every time he thinks about them, every time he prays about them. And he's now been arrested, but he says that it's actually working out for the good. We see that in uh, verse 12. Then he, it says, uh, that his arrest has actually given confidence to other Christians to preach and that the prison guards are actually coming to know Christ as well and that's giving the Christians even more confidence to preach outside the prison, inside the prison. So the, the word of God is spreading where Paul is at and he's, he's communicating this to the Philippians and he says right before, we're going to pick it up here in verse 19, right before that he says that some are preaching against Paul, some are joining with Paul and preaching kind of with him, and they're on his side. But either way, the gospel is being spread, and that's all that Paul cares about. So that's where we're picking it up. In verse 19, he says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. He's saying that the spreading of this, the gospel, he says, I know it's going to turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. So I love this about Paul, that he will never boast. You don't read in his letters him boasting that he's never going to lose faith, right? He says that he earnestly expects and hopes that he'll be ashamed in nothing. He doesn't say, I'm never going to be ashamed. He doesn't say, I'm never going to lose hope. This isn't because he doesn't have, he's losing faith in the faithfulness of God. It's because he knows his weakness. And he's he's a humble guy. He's not going to say, I will never be ashamed. He says, I continue to earnestly hope and expect. Persecution is going to come to us, and this is something that God's kind of put on my heart uh, a lot this week. Those of you who go to the Wednesday night Bible study know that I talked about persecution then, and God put this passage 
on my heart also, and I started reading it, I'm like, oh, well, same topic. So we're, we're staying on a theme here. Persecution is going to come to every Christian. And if we don't have an expectation of how we're going to deal and how we're going to react to that persecution, we're probably going to fail in those moments. When you plan, when you have a plan of how you're going to respond to something, you're more likely to respond that way when, when the thing comes up. God sort of hit me with this recently. Somebody at work was asking a little bit about me, and I was talking about you know, living in Ohio. Oh, you lived in Ohio. And I kind of told the story about how I moved out to Ohio and lived in Ohio, and I felt God calling me back here uh, and moving back uh, to California from Ohio. And as I was telling the story, I realized, man, I've told this story so many times. It's like I have never written it out, but it's almost like I have bullet points. Like I tell it the same way every single time. And later that day, uh, an opportunity came to say something about Jesus. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember I kind of like fumbled my way through it. And I was like, man, like why wasn't that smooth? Like, <laughs> and, and God kind of hit me with it because you need to practice. Like, when you tell the same story every time, you kind of know, okay, if this person says this, I'm going to respond this way, and I'm going to like tell this story with these bullet points. And it's a story I've told many times. But when you don't have any practice telling people about Jesus, when it comes up, you're not going to know how to do it. And you're going to sort of flop around. And that's okay. You know, that's how you practice, right? You shouldn't like shame yourself for you know, not doing it perfectly. Instead, what I'm saying is practice. Practice in your head, but also practice physically, when, when those opportunities arise, step up to the plate. Second thing I want to say about uh, these two verses is that Paul knows that because of the prayers of the Philippians and the power of the Holy Spirit, along with the preaching of the Word of God we, we read in 19, he knows that he's going to be freed. So Paul has been in prison for about five years, give or take. He's in prison in Rome. And he's getting to the point where it's like, okay, like, I, he senses it. He feels it. He's like, okay, I'm, I, they're going to let me go soon. This is like everybody's hearing the word of God. And I know it's because of the prayers of the Philippians and other people, I'm sure. The Holy Spirit is moving and the, the word of God is being preached. So he says uh, in verse 19 that I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Verse 21. Oh, he says in uh, the end of verse 20, he says, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We have read this verse and know this verse very well, but it's interesting as we read on to see what Paul is actually saying. And he's actually, he's being very honest here. And we see Paul in these next few verses open up more and be more vulnerable than in any other of his letters. And that's kind of the way things go, right? The people who you love very much and who give you comfort, like you feel very close to them and you kind of open up a little bit to them. And that's kind of what's happening here is this church has supported him financially. This church has supported him through prayer. And it's a strong church. He hears their reports while he's in prison. And every time, everything he hears about him is just like, man, they are doing a great job. So he just he feels very close to these churches. And so he's, he opens up and he's being a little bit more vulnerable in these next few verses. He says, uh, but if I live on the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. He's saying, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. He says, for I'm hard-pressed between the two, 
having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul is, uh, he's ready to give up. <laughs> he's ready to die. And he's ready to be with Jesus. He, at this point, is in his late 50s, early 60s. He's been in prison for about five years. And he has had a long and very difficult ministry. He has been through the ringer. And uh, Roman prisons, they weren't very comfortable places. It's not like you had a little writing desk and someplace, you know, nice to relax. Uh, you were being punished. And probably towards the end, because so many Christ so many um, guards were being Christians, maybe it got a little bit easier. But it's been a long five years. And Paul is, he's getting tired. He's getting ready to, to move on. But what does he say? In verse 24, he says, Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Now, the decision to live or die isn't really up to Paul, right? But what he's saying is that God still has a purpose for him. There's still, you know, oxygen in my lungs, so God must have a purpose for me. I'm still doing the will of God. I'm still alive, so I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep doing his will. He's being very honest with these churches, and he's encouraging them that they are part of the plan that God has for the rest of his life. And he's being very honest, but he's also being very selfless in, in saying, like, I'm not going to stop my ministry. I'd love to retire. I'd love to go home to be with Jesus. But uh, it's more needful for, you to, for me to remain. It's better for you. It's not necessarily better or more comfortable for me, but it's needful for you guys that I remain. 25 says, And now being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Now, this epistle, Philippians, it's nicknamed the epistle of joy because language like this is used so much. Rejoice. The word joy itself is used so many times that it's been nicknamed the epistle of joy. Uh, and there's obviously joy in what Paul is saying. Like, when I die, I'm going to be with Jesus, and that's a, it's a glorious thing. But through his vulnerability, you can see he's in a dark place. You can see he's, he's a little, you know, we sang the, the song Man of Sorrows. I think Paul is a, a man of sorrows. <laughs> This, he, it's not like he's jumping for joy. He has joy in his heart, and he knows that he's doing the will of God, and he takes joy in that, but he's in a dark place at this point. And we see that through the vulnerability that he's giving to the Philippians. Verse 27, he says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul tells them to strive together. We hear this language from Paul quite often. And he's always pushing people towards unity and same vision. Uh, I think that Paul would be a little bit grieved to, to see how many people have taken his words and sort of twisted them into so many divisive things. Paul loved unity, and he, he constantly is telling Christians, be of one mind, be of one spirit, 
be of, uh, be one. <laughs> you guys are the body of Christ. You guys need to unite. And that's the same language he's using here. Verse 28 says, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. Now, the language here obviously is a, a little bit strange, but he's saying when you don't react fearfully under persecution, but you stand in confidence, it shows the power of God. And, and it makes your persecutors consider your salvation and their damnation. Whenever you don't react in, in fear or overreact in what they say. This isn't in my notes, but I see Pastor Dave back there, and he was recently talking to one of my neighbors. He was over helping us paint, and one of my neighbors came by. And knowing that Pastor Dave is a pastor, he said this crude and clearly he was trying to be offensive and it came out of nowhere but he said that uh, Jesus, Jesus is the kind of person who would have shot all those people uh, in Las Vegas. That's the kind of thing that Jesus would have done. And when Pastor Dave, I wasn't there, but when Pastor Dave told me I was like, what? Like, what kind of person said, what did you even say to the guy? How do you respond to that? And Dave said, I didn't say anything. I'm sure, my, I'm sure my face said something, but I said nothing. I just stood there and looked at him. And very quickly, the guy started to backpedal and, well, I, you know, and he started like rambling and trying to like recover his ground. And it made him uncomfortable that Dave just sort of went, like, <laughs> wow, like not reacting and overreacting, right? Not getting all shaken up and being like, I can't believe you would, but just kind of sternly looking at him, right? Stand your ground in confidence in Christ, and it makes people uncomfortable. It makes your persecutors say, whoa, this guy's different. There's something different about this guy. I don't know what it is, but now I'm starting to consider my own damnation. <laughs> so stand in confidence when you're being persecuted. Verse 29 says, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. <laughs> the epistle of joy. Uh, he says, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now hear in me. Which, which conflict is he talking about here? Same conflict in verse 23, right? He's hard pressed between the two. To live or to die. To continue or not to continue. He says that it's your honor that God has chosen you to go through some persecution and to stand up for Jesus and to go to the same, go through the same persecution that I myself am going through. That's what, that's what Paul is saying to the Philippians. He's saying persecution's coming. Don't be afraid, but be ready. He continues in uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He says, let's comfort each other. Let's join together, right? That's what fellowship is when you look at the, the word koinonia, fellowship. It's, it's a joining together. Uh, in doing things for Christ. There's an intimate joining 
together in this word, and that's what fellowship actually means. It doesn't mean just sitting around eating Doritos together, just hanging out. Fellowship is doing something together, linking arms in Christ, and moving towards his will together. He says, let's show affection and mercy to one another. And the mercy he speaks of is right there in verse 2, right? Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. He says, let's put our differences aside. In the comfort that we live in, in the Western world, there is division. I've heard many missionaries say, when coming from a place that has a lot of persecution, I can't wait to go home. <laughs> I, I think it's harder to live in the United States because there is no focus when you're not under persecution, when there is so much comfort. It's this blob and everyone just starts arguing about everything and it's, it's very confusing. I experienced that, gosh, 10, 12 years ago. We went to Utah to speak to the Mormons, share Jesus with them. And I think some of you have heard this story, but we uh, met some Christians there that we didn't know, and it was a, a glorious thing. I remember when we were there, and when we came back and even gave the report to Hope Chapel, I remember saying it was a little piece of heaven. Like, it, it brought us so much joy to meet other Christians there and to share in share with them, you know, that, that true fellowship. There was an instant connection. We had a close, close friendship, even only knowing each other for a few days because we had a focus and we had something that we were doing together. We, we were linking arms with the Christians who lived in Utah and sharing the gospel with those who have been deceived. So we met some of these people. Some of them didn't live in Utah. Some of them lived in um, San Diego at the time. And we linked up with them and hung out and... Man, it was probably 20 or 30 minutes before one of them was like, so, do you think once you're saved, you're always saved? It's like, what the heck? What do you think about the end times? Like, what do you think about this controversial issue or that controversial issue? And it's like, man, like, we're, we're trying to hang out, right? We're trying to fellowship. But there was no focus. There wasn't the focus we had in Utah of like, because there, what did we talk about? oh man, I was talking to this one guy and man, this spirit just spoke right through me and I said this thing that I didn't even know and we, the guy, like, he was stumped. It, it made him consider the truth for a minute. Wow, that's, that's incredible. That was our focus. It was very specific. And the focus, when the focus was just hanging out, division came. And all the peripheral things, well, there's no focus, so let's talk about this. <laughs> like, man, what are we doing? Are you kidding me? We have to fight the division that comes from comfort. We have to figure out what that focus in and focus on it together. We can't bicker about the peripheral things. We need to find the focus that God has for us and move in his will. Verse 3, it says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind. And let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out 
not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Do we live like this? It's a tough question. I know I don't. Um, often I think that what I think is more important than what other people think. I think that, you know, what I have been studying is more important than what the other person's been studying. You know, we, we, we think that what we want is more important than what other people want. We think that what we do is more important than what other people do. I couldn't possibly help you. I'm just so busy watching Netflix. Um, You're not that late. <laughs> a few years ago, Annie, as she does, was very honest with me and said, do you mind if I say something without you freaking out? Which always is a fun conversation to have with your wife. Sure, let's do this. Uh, she's like, you kind of interrupt people when you're hanging out. You kind of talk over them. Ooh, do I really? I didn't, eat. I was like, I, my instinct was, I do not do that. But she's my wife, so I considered it. And I started catching myself doing that after, after this conversation, hanging out with, the next time we hung out with people, I was like, man, I do that. I gotta work on that. I gotta stop doing that. It's embarrassing. Because I think what I have to say is more important than the other person, right? I'm not considering their interests or their thoughts more important than my own. I, I have something more important. Let me talk. Me, me. That's our culture. And that's the opposite of what the Bible tells us. That's the opposite of what, what Paul is saying. Sometimes it's more important to let someone else speak than to make sure that they know everything you know. This doesn't only have to do with conversation, though. Verse 4 says, uh, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Are other people's interests more interesting to you than your own interests? This also has to do with flexibility, right? What we do. Well, I want to go here for lunch, so we should obviously go there. I want to watch this movie, so we should watch this movie. What about what the other people want to do? Sometimes the best leaders say, that person never talks. <laughs> what do you want to do? That's what we're doing. That's a cool leader. To, to find the person that has a hard time speaking in a group and focus in on what they're interested in and bringing, leading people to do with that other person, less important person, because they don't talk as much, doing that thing. It's not only about what I want. This is humbleness, which is what the next few verses are going to talk about here. Verses 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. What mind was he just talking about? Considering others more important than yourself. That's the mind that was in Christ. That's what he's saying. He says, Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. James says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he, God, will lift you up. There's a lot of theology in these verses we just read. People want to argue a lot about those, but that's exactly what Paul is telling us not to do. He's telling the Philippians to stop arguing, put your differences aside, comfort each other, love each other. He's clearly speaking in these verses about being humble. So I've got eight things about what humbleness means here. Four things for you and four things from God. Number one, humbleness means you do not require a high seat for yourself. Right? Jesus stepped down from his throne. Number two, humbleness means you do not need to be important. Jesus was being glorified in heaven and he left that. Number three, humbleness means that you are willing to serve and not only not be important, but be seen as totally unimportant. (laughs) Humbleness means you're willing to be disregarded completely, be a man of sorrows rejected by your own people. That's what Isaiah 53 says about the man of stars. He's rejected by his own, right? And you're willing to do do that. And you're willing to do that in service. I'm not going to be noticed. I'm just going to I'm just going to do the will of God. Humbleness means you're obedient no matter what, right? He he was even he was obedient even to the cross. You're obedient all the way to death. That's what it means to be humble. Then, humbleness means that God sees you as important. It means that God will give you glory. It means that God will give you a high seat. And that God will give you responsibility. When you're humble... God says, that's my guy. He's important to me. (laughs) He calls us, when we have faith in Jesus, he calls us excellent. (laughs) The responsibility that he gives you could be people coming to you and saying, man, like, what do I do? You know? But it's also ultimately going to be angels serving you in heaven. That's what heaven, it's told that we're going to rule over angels. That's going to be part of our job there. You're like, what? We got a job in heaven? Trust me, it's going to be awesome. (laughs) But yeah, it's in there. Let's continue. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He says, you weren't only obedient when I was there, when I led you to Christ, but now I've left, I've been in prison, I'm hearing the report of you, and you are, you're more obedient to God than when I first met you. You are growing in Christ. 
yet he's still encouraging them to keep obeying. <laughs> he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, for his good pleasure. To want to do the will of God, and to do the will of God, is the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Right? The Holy Spirit comes in us, and he empowers us, and he ministers to us the truth, and he empowers us to do the will of God. Okay? Let's not forget the implication of this, though. What Paul is also saying, right? The verse above that. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The implication here is to be prideful, which is the opposite of being humble, or to want to depart from doing the will of God. That's walking according to the flesh. He's encouraging them. He's pushing them here, saying, keep obeying. Be strong. Take courage under persecution. Keep obeying. Stay humble. Verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing. He says, don't even, these words also mean grumble, and disputing means argue. So don't even grumble about it. Oh, I have to do this thing. <laughs> no. Do all things without complaining and without arguing. Again, he's bringing up arguing. So there's clearly, he did hear, they're doing really well, they're very obedient, but gosh, they're arguing a lot. So he's, he's addressing that. Stop. Stop it. Verse 15. That you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Paul has poured himself out for these people. He, Philippi was not near Jerusalem. <laughs> I'm not sure if you remember the map that we showed when, when we first talk, started talking about this, but it was a far away. He, he traveled a long way to meet these people and to lead them to Christ. He did a lot of work. He has poured himself out over the years for these churches. And he's saying, continue to grow in Christ. Yes, you're growing. You, I hear that you have grown abundantly since I led you to Christ. Keep growing. Keep spreading the gospel. Stop arguing. Join together in fellowship to do the will of God together. He's saying, prepare for persecution and be strong when opposition comes. But be tender with each other. Be courageous for the gospel, but be humble all the time. Be humble when you're persecuted and be humble to one another. Consider each other higher than you consider yourselves. And do all things, if nothing else, Paul says, to, to give me comfort. <laughs> I'm an old man. I'm tired. I'm going to come visit you. Please don't bicker. <laughs> um, that's all I have for you tonight, guys. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to preach your word. God, and I pray that you will Show us what your will for us is, God. Show us the fellowship that you want for us. God, help us to be glorifying to you as we grow in you. 
give us focus, God, and help us not necessarily fight comfort, but fight against the flesh that wants to argue with one another, God. I pray that you will continue to work in us and show us how we can be more like you and be more humble, be be more loving, and consider each other the way you consider each and every person, God. We love you, we praise you, and I pray that you bless the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.